0: I'd like to invite you to turn with me this evening in God's Word to 1 Kings 21. 1 Kings 21 will be our Scripture reading this evening under the heading of, continuing our series, Living for God. And the heading is Respecting Property from 1 Kings 21. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word, beginning in verse 1. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel, Beside the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house. And I will give you a better vineyard for it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed, and he turned away his face, and he would eat no food. But Jezebel's wife came to him and said, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. And then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city and the elders and the leaders who lived in his city did as Jezebel had sent word to them, as it was written in the letters that she had sent him, sent to them. And they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And two worthless men came in, And they sat opposite of him, and the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. And so they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead." And as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, arise and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, so shall dogs lick up your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up. I will cut, you from, cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and the son of Baasha, and the son of Ahijah, Ahijah. For the anger to which you have provoked me because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done whom the Lord had cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes, and he put on sackcloth on his flesh, and fasted and lay in sackcloth, and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days I will bring about the disaster upon his house. Here ends the reading of God's word this evening. And then we'll turn, secondly, in our Heidelberg Catechism to Lord's Day 42, which can be found in the forms and prayers book in the pew in front of you. Lord's Day 42. Beginning with question 110, on page 249, What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, which governing authorities punish, but in God's sight, theft also includes all evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of His gifts. Question 111. What does, God's, what does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. But my most dear friends, am I correct in assuming that when it comes to the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, we feel relatively safe. Statistically, that's a good guess. The Barna Research Group found in the adults that they surveyed, 86% of them felt they had completely satisfied God's requirements in the 8th commandment. You see, we might feel some conviction at the 3rd commandment. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Because we all can lose our temper and say things we shouldn't. Or maybe we felt some conviction last week regarding the 7th commandment because we know that the commandment not to commit adultery is ultimately about our hearts. But when we come to the 8th commandment, we might think, well, I don't break into people's homes. I don't shoplift. This is a commandment for thieves and robbers, for gangsters and thugs. But I think I've got this one pretty well down. Well, there's an old picture which illustrates well the catechism's teaching on the Eighth Commandment of a nicely dressed woman and a butcher smiling up at the weigh scale and there's a chicken or something on it. And if you look closely, you'll find out why they're smiling. Because the butcher has his thumb pressed down on it and the sweet old lady has her finger pressing up on the bottom. They each think they're getting a good deal. But this too, says the Heidelberg Catechism, is a violation of God's commandment. God is not simply telling us that carjackers and bank robbers need to go to prison. There's a deeper teaching here. That it is not befitting of Christians to use dishonesty to get what we want. It is not befitting of a Christian to use dishonesty to get ahead. It is not befitting of a Christian to use dishonesty to have more pleasure in life. And look, whether we realize it or not, all Christians are tempted to provide for themselves dishonorably. We've all thought, wow, my taxes are really high. Maybe I'll just... Fudge a number here. We've all been, uh, you know, confronted with the idea of insurance being ridiculously high. They're all crooks, we think. Maybe I'll just cause an accident, billing more hours than we worked, plagiarism, online privacy, piracy, stealing the other team's game plan. Is that too fresh for you, Michigan fans? to try to get ahead. We're all tempted to the 8th commandment, the violation of the 8th commandment. The catechism says, God forbids all greed. But what the 8th commandment is really calling us to is actually a trust that God will provide. We prayed just a few moments ago, give us this day, our daily bread. And what we confess in that prayer is that God knows our every need. And that He is a good Father who delights to provide for our, His children's needs. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the rich treasure houses of heaven. And Paul tells us that He shall supply according to our needs, according to His riches. And you know, if a child has a rich parent, and that rich parent meets all of their needs, they're not often tempted to steal, maybe as an act of rebellion. But so are we children who are richly provided for. We are the children of the richest king in the world, the children of the God of the universe. And we do not need to resort to evil tricks and schemes. What God calls us to in the Eighth Commandment is to trust Him for our daily provisions. That's our theme for our time together this evening. The Eighth Commandment does not only forbid theft, but it also commands trust in our rich Heavenly Father. I want to show you this in three points. The temptation to steal, whatever it takes, and judgment inevitable, but repentance available. The temptation to steal, whatever it takes, and judgment inevitable, but repentance available. First, let's look at the temptation to steal from 1 Kings 21. As we celebrate the Reformation this weekend, it was one of the Reformers, Heinrich Bullinger, who said, those who steal private property spend their lives in prison, but thieves who steal public property walk about arrayed in gold and purple. Stealing by political nobility, the governmental unjust seizing of property may be the most common form of stealing in human history. And the Eighth Commandment forbids expanding your territory unrighteously, and this is what we see in the story of Naboth's vineyard. See, what you need to see in 1 Kings 21 is that this story is all about location, location, location. Look at verse 1. Naboth, the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King of Ahab, king of Samaria. Jezreel, Jezreel, Samaria. Jezreel would have been located about 24 miles north of the capital city of the northern nation of Israel, which was Samaria. In the city of Samaria, we are told that Ahab had a palace, 1 Kings 16.24. We're even told that Ahab had enough wealth that he set up a rival temple to the Canaanite god Baal, 1 Kings 16.32. And remember that Ahab was a very wicked king. But what this means is that what we're looking at in verse 1 of 1 Kings 21 is actually Ahab's second residence. This is his vacation palace his cottaging palace in Jezreel. And so one day, Ahab, wanting to expand his cottage and add to the beauty of his home, he takes interest in the neighboring vineyard of Naboth. And he says to him in verse 2, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it as a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. Now for those of us in Michigan in 2023, this sounds like a fairly good deal, right? A decent offer. But what I want you to see in this story is that what Ahab is doing in verse 2 is that he knows the law of God and he rejects the law of God. He knows and rejects. There are spiritual problems with this proposition. Ahab would have known the famous story of God providing a promised land to his people. And even before Israel entered the promised land, as they were wandering through the wilderness, God said, I will provide for each and every family in the promised land. And so when Joshua goes into the land and they Conquer the Canaanites and all the other people there, we read in Joshua 13 through 18 that he divided up the land and gave each tribe its own territory. And in each tribe's territory, every family had a place. And in every family, every person had a place. And the land was sacred. The land was to be an inheritance, the land was to be passed down from generation to generation. To generation. In fact, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that land was never even to be sold. There were some dire instances where people might need to sell their land. We remember the story of Ruth and Naomi in the book of Ruth. But generally, they were to hold on to this land. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Numbers 36. Go to the Old Testament, Numbers 36. We see this principle. Numbers 36, beginning in verse 7. Numbers 36, verse 7 says, "...the inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another. For every one of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the people of Israel shall be wife to one of the clan of the tribe of her father so that every one of the people of Israel may possess the inheritance of his father. So no inheritance shall be transferred from one tribe to another for each of the tribes of the people of Israel shall hold on to its own inheritance. See, Ahab would have known this. Jezebel would have known this law. This was a famous law. And so Ahab coming to Naboth and saying, Give me your vineyard. was a rejection of God's law. He knows and rejects. And you know what this story shows us about Naboth's heart. It shows us what prompts someone to steal. See, at this point in the story... Ahab has not actually stolen anything, but it does show us the root of theft. And the root of robbery is discontent. Consider everything that Ahab had. He has a second palace. He is the king of Israel. The richest man in the northern nation. And he's not content. He's not satisfied with what he's been given. That's what sets the stage for theft. Let it be known today that thievery, robbing, pilfering, cheating, shoplifting, all occur when people are dissatisfied with what they've been given. This story reminds me of the old, oldest, richest man in the world. Remember Rockefeller? First person to a million dollars, I believe it was, or a billion dollars. And they asked him, how much money do you need? You remember his famous response? How many dollars do you need? And he said, just one more. That's the attitude that leads to theft. Being dissatisfied with which we've been given. See, this story shows us that robbery begins in the heart. Listen to how Paul puts it in 1 Timothy chapter 6 he says but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction greed when taken lightly in the heart always leads to bad things in fact jesus even says in his gospel in one of the gospels gospel of mark he says that one of the reasons the word doesn't take root in our hearts is the seduction of wealth and the desire for other people's things. It's the heart. And so this evening, right now, we need to guard our hearts. We need to put our joy in the Savior. We need to give generously. Because it's where the heart that theft begins. And so in verse 3, we're introduced to Righteous Naboth. And consider the offer he is given here. He perhaps would have been richer if he takes this deal from King Ahab. He said he would give him a better vineyard. Consider his social standing that would have gone up if somebody who had pleased the king. Think of his political standing he would have have been someone who had an in with the king having brought great pleasure to King Ahab. But look at Naboth's godly response. The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. It's the only time Naboth speaks in this entire story and it is saturated with the Bible. He uses God's covenant name. Capital L-O-R-D. Referring to Yahweh. Naboth's God is the covenant-keeping God who remembers His promise and keeps faith from generation to generation. He says, the Lord forbid. He sounds a lot like Paul in the book of Romans. He detests what is evil and clings to what is good. He says, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Wow! Wow! What faith that he would exchange riches, exchange moving up the social ladder, political ends. He exchanges it all for God's blessing. And do you know why this is so important to Naboth? Not just because God said, don't sell it. But to Naboth and those who kept faith in Israel, this wasn't just a couple acres of land. It's a divine gift from God. And when God gives a gift to these people of old, He's actually doing three things. I want to show you three things about the land grants in the Old Testament. The first thing that God gave to everybody who received land is He gave His provision. He provided for every family in Israel. He provided life for them. He provided provision for them. And He provided a place for them and their generations. That's the first thing. Provision. Secondly, God is guarding the families, even the poor in Israel. He is Guarding them against commercial exploitation, somebody buying up all the land and extorting these people of old. He provides, He guards, but I want you to turn with me to Leviticus 25 for the third thing. Leviticus 25. And we need to read these words so closely. Leviticus 25, verse 23. Look what the Lord says The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. You are strangers and sojourners with me. The land was the reminder that He is the Creator. We are the tenants. But He is pleased as the Creator to give His people all that they need. It was a sign that He is the covenant-keeping God who is creating and sustaining. Your family's plot of land didn't just symbolize corn and wheat or whatever they grew out there. It was an assurance that He will provide He will guard. And it was an assurance that if He cares for me now, afterwards He will receive me into glory. I like to say it this way. The land grants were an assurance of salvation. I was assured by my land that He would give me the heavenly Canaan. So to give away this land would have been a squandering of the gifts, right? That's what the catechism talks about. It would have been the squandering of Naboth's greatest gifts. And so God forbids all greed. In every form. And just because the culture accepts it, this is a word of application, just because the culture accepts it, doesn't mean that God accepts it. Ahab made this offer because presumably this is what people were doing. But that doesn't make it right. I'll share one st- illustration with you. When One time I got in an elder's car. wasn't an elder of this church. And I get in the car and sitting in the center console was some lottery tickets. So I just casually mentioned, oh, you play the lottery. And his response was, well, other people at our church do it. No, that's not the standard. The standard is that we are to express godly contentment with what God has given us. And trust that our Heavenly Father will provide. And that's what Naboth is doing. He could have more, greater standing in his society, but he is trusting the Lord. This leads Jezebel and Ahab to get this vineyard and to do whatever it takes. Our second point, whatever it takes. See, the Apostle Paul in his first letter to young Timothy says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, it doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, there's nothing wrong with money or wealth in and of itself. However, when money begins to control us, it creates great problems. Many of you probably remember in 2008, the housing crisis here in the United States, which almost brought our economy to its its knees. What was the root of that? It was the love of money, it was greed. Just this last week, Lisa and I were introduced to the story of a man who married a Native American woman whose family was rich in oil money and how he participated in the killing off of her siblings, even to the extent of trying to poison her so that he would inherit the money, so that his family would inherit the money, not them. What's the root of that? That's greed. That's the love of money. We turn on the TV and you see the courtroom dramas and the crimes under consideration. And usually it's all motivated by jealousy. By greed. The love of money. It's the love of money that motivates people to lie, to steal, to cheat, to gamble, and to do things they wouldn't normally do. They do whatever it takes. We see this in Ahab's story. His greed and discontentment can be read on his face. Oh, he's so vexed. Poor King Ahab can't even eat. And look at his complaint he gives to his wife. He spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard. And look at Naboth's answer. I will not give you my vineyard. But that's not what Naboth said at all. Naboth said, it's the Lord's vineyard. It's my father's inheritance. He never uses the word my once. You see how the love of money is twisting Ahab's mind. And so Jezebel, the wicked queen of old, gets to work on an evil trick and scheme to satisfy her husband. She takes a piece of paper with his let her head an insignia on it. And she writes in his name, Proclaim a fast. Set Naboth at the head. Set two worthless men opposite him. And let them bring a charge against him saying, You have cursed God and the king. And then they drag him outside. And the passage says, They stone him to death. Righteous Naboth. Killed cold blood. And you know what I find so disturbing about this passage? Jezebel does everything legally. The law requires you need two or three witnesses. So she gets two witnesses. The law says the penalty of cursing God is death. So she includes that in her accusations. She follows the letter of the law, but she does not follow God's law. The Catechism says rightly that God sees through this. Notice what it says. But in God's sight, theft, which also includes evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate. Legitimate. And that's exactly what Jezebel has done. She has, through means that appear legitimate, killed Naboth and brought accusations against him. But God can see through the court system. In God's sight, He can see through the words, through the reasons, through right to the heart. Do you love God? Do you love your neighbor? Or do you love money? As Thomas Watson said, a heart would rather part with its blood than part with its money. We see this in Jezebel and Ahab. Do they love their neighbor or love money? Well, we know Ahab's answer to that question. He hears that Naboth is dead. And so he arises and goes down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Now he has his garden at a second palace. Do you see the irony here? A king is supposed to be the protector and defender of his people. And he values his profit over people. He values his pleasure over over God's principles. In fact, if you flip to 2 Kings 9, verse 26, you see that even Naboth's sons were taken out so that they couldn't make a claim on the land. A whole family was dispossessed and removed from Israel for a garden. Let us never forget that greed also has consequences. When we put people above profits, when we put principle above when we put pleasure above our principle, when the throne of our heart on the throne of our heart sits money, wealth and success, people are always hurt. See what God commands in the 8th commandment is that we do whatever we can and may for our neighbor's good. And Ahab fails that test abysmally. And that I would treat others as I would like them to treat me. And that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. You don't see any of this. Just because you follow the law of the land does not mean we are obeying the law of the Lord. Let's look at our third point. Justice inevitable, but repentance available. See, the owner of the vineyard is dead. Nahab rises up to take possession of it. But here's the thing. The owner of the vineyard isn't dead. Naboth never claimed to be the owner. This is his father's land. This land is the land of the God of the covenant. Ahab killed Naboth, but he didn't kill the vineyard's owner. See, this speech from Elijah to Ahab is usually the forgotten part of the story. But it's actually its center and the most important part. It says Elijah the Tishbite comes to Ahab. And remember that the last time we saw Elijah, he is hiding from Jezebel. God leads him to Mount Horeb and He strengthens him with his still, small voice. Here he comes again. No longer full of fear and trepidation. He comes to Ahab as the emissary of God. He walks right up to his enemy. Verse 20. And he tells him, God sees and knows his evil. To Ahab, God says, I will bring disaster upon you. And of Jezebel, he says, the dog shall eat you within the walls of Jezreel. See, to 21st century Christians in North America, we don't immediately recognize the hope of this passage. But for thousands of Christians around the world who suffer injustice, thousands of Christians who are robbed with seemingly no recourse, this is a message of hope. I came across a story this week of a young man from India who said the first thing he ever read in the Bible was the story of Naboth's vineyard, 1 Kings 21. The story of Ahab, Jezebel, and Naboth. And this young man writes, he says, I was astonished to find that it was all about greed for land, abuse of power, and corruption of the courts, and violence against the poor. Things he was all too familiar with. But even more amazing, this young man writes, is the fact that God took Naboth's side. And not only accused Ahab and Jezebel of wrongdoing, but also took vengeance upon them. Here is a real God who identifies real villains, who took real action against them. He writes, I never knew such a God existed. Our God is a God of justice. A God for the widow. A God for the orphan. For the poor. For the oppressed, the weak, and the vulnerable. You know, every other God says, I am the God of kings. Every other God says, I am the God of mighty men. I am the God of princes. But as Elijah stands in that vineyard, he is saying, I am the God of Naboth. And I care for Him. And God cares for you too, Christian. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He feeds the birds of the air. He clothes the fields with beauty. And if He remembers a little sparrow, Jesus promises He will remember you. He can provide for your every need. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. You know, when we consider the subject of greed, it can lead us to unimaginable things. The most unimaginable sin ever committed was the murder of Christ. And the Gospels tell us that Judas orchestrated it all for the sake of greed. Like Naboth, Jesus was falsely accused. Taken outside of the city gates and murdered for greed. Through this miscarriage of justice, the Lord brought about the greatest good. The execution of God's will for our forgiveness. At the end of this story, Ahab repents. And even though Ahab is the most wicked king of the Old Testament, God gives His grace. Now ultimately, Ahab's repentance was superficial. And his justice, God's justice, would be fulfilled in his death. But the principle is this. If God would extend grace to a sinner like Ahab, who violates not just the Eighth Commandment, but the Sixth, He violates all the commandments in his life. If God would extend grace to a sinner like Ahab, surely he can extend grace to sinners like you and like me. God provided for Nahab in the giving of a piece of land. Naboth, I should say, in the giving of the piece of land. Even though it was stolen, and even though his blood was shed, God provided for him all of his days, and He provided for him even in the last, by bringing him into the heavenly kingdom. God has promised that He will richly provide for us as well until the day we see His face. Children richly provided for have no reason to steal. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we are able to rejoice this evening. And Your provision that You are a heavenly Father who loves us, who cares for us. You care for even the sparrows and the grass of the field. And there's not a single blessing that You have withheld from us. And that one day ultimately we will see Your face and we will know that You have given us all things. And so Father, we pray that You would bless us. Keep us far from temptation that we would not steal. Let us look to You to provide all that we need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.